0: Take your Bible and open it up with me this morning to 2 Samuel 11. And for those of you that are visiting with us, let me just share that. On Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings during the summer, we've been involved in a series of study of God's Word on learning from the testimony of Old Testament men and women. And this morning, we're going to look at the testimony of King David. There's so many things that the Bible tells us about David. As a young man, he was a man of great bravery. As he kept watch over his father's sheep, he would kill lion and bear that would threaten the sheep. He was a, a, a young man that was chosen early, the least likely of his family, to be the king to replace. Saul. He was a man of great integrity. When Saul would pursue him in jealousy to uh, take his life, he has the opportunity to kill Saul and his men urging. But he says, God forbid that I should raise my hand against God's anointed. And he trusted the Lord to take care of the situation. He was a man of uh, of great courage in faith. He would face Goliath, and he would say to Goliath, "You come to me with sword and spear. I come to you in the name of the Lord." And he slays uh, uh, Goliath. It's under David that that Israel really or Judah really rises to. It's golden year. So many positive things that the Bible says about David. But as we come to uh, 2 Samuel 11, we have the heartbreaking time in David's life. The day when he blows it in just a moment. The man who had such intimacy with God that he could write, The Lord is my shepherd, departs from the Lord. And so we're going to look at David's testimony, and if he were to give his testimony to us today, five things that he would tell us that we need to know in the time of temptation. I want you to read with me the first few verses of of 2 Samuel 11. In the spring of the year, the time when the kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel, and they ravaged the Amorites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house and he saw from the roof a woman uh, from the roof, a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, "Is this not uh, Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite?" So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he laid with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanliness then she returned to her house and the woman conceived and she sent word and told David I am pregnant if uh, David was going to tell us from his own experience uh, about what we need to know in times of temptation the first thing that he would tell us is that temptation flourishes in times of uh, of of, of aloneness. Look with me, if you will, at at verse 1. It says, in the spring of the year, at the time when the kings go out to battle, David uh, uh, sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel. He sends his army out, and they're going to go fight the Amorites. They're going to win a great battle victory but the problem is it's when the kings go out to war and David does not go with his man, men but instead he remains at Jerusalem. He didn't have the fellowship, the kindredship he did not have the protection of being with his men. he is isolated he is alone and it is in that environment that temptation, Is going to come to him now the Bible tells us some things that we need to know it tells us that sin always crouches at the door and that the enemy is always prowling around looking for an opportunity to attack us first Peter 5 8 says your adversary the devil Uh, Roams around as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And you cannot beat the enemy by yourself. And if you isolate yourself, you become more vulnerable to the attacks. God did not create us to be independent, autonomous are self-sufficient people. But instead, he created us as his people as a body for a very important reason because none of us can make it by ourselves. As a pastor over the years, I've had to stand before the congregation and say, you really don't know how God uses you in my life. Some of you pray for me. You surround me with your prayers. Some of you encourage me. Some of you instruct me and teach me by your lives and your testimony. And some of you rebuke me when I let things come into my life. And I simply cannot live the Christian life without you. And that's true of all of us. God created us for community, for fellowship. And that's why the Lord commands us to be an active part of his church. In uh, in, in Hebrews 10.25, the Lord says, And forsake not the assembling of yourselves as the habit of, of some is. He said, some people are just in the habit of missing church. Uh, Sort of like the guy that I was talking to one day and he said, well, you know, I don't need to go to church. I can worship God as much on the golf course as I can in church. And I said to him, I've heard you on the golf course and that's not worship that you're doing. He said, don't be like those who minimize the importance being actively involved in the body but you are to encourage one another now how do we do that why is the church so important in our lives as a community of believers as a fellowship of believers it's because we are to be iron sharpening iron and so we to bring accountability into one another's life whether it's in a Sunday school classroom or whether it's among a close friend that you develop you need someone that can hold you accountable that you are consistent in your devotional life that you are reading the Word of God daily and you're spending time in fellowship with the Lord in prayer you need to have someone hold you accountable that you're not exposing yourself to anything that would be a danger to draw your heart away from the Lord. You need someone who is account you're accountable to that will ask you the hard questions in life. We all need accountability. Not only do we need accountability, we, we need to have uh, 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 someone that, that loves us enough that they will surround us with intercessory prayer. The Scripture says that we are to pray for one another, that we are to, uh, to, to, to be a hedge of protection. We need people who will speak the truth in love, us We, we need someone who loves us enough to say I see a hole in your soul but now listen if you speak truth without love that's harsh judgmentalism if you speak love without truth you don't help anyone we speak the truth in love to one another and then James says that we are to confess our sins to one another We don't do that a whole lot, do we? We try to put up a front and make everybody think we have it all together. We don't ever go to someone and say, Man, I'm wrestling with this area in my life. I'm struggling with this attack in my flesh. I falter and I fall. I just need someone to come alongside of me. I need someone to help me bear my burden. I need someone to pray for me. And then... The Bible says that we need to restore one another. In uh, Galatians 6.1, Paul says, if anyone falls into a transgression, he's talking about the church, if anyone falls into a transgression, you who are spiritual, restore them. Now, the process of, of restoration is not just saying, all right, there's nothing to worry about, no. It's helping someone work through repentance, making things right, building faith and, and faithfulness back in their life, helping them come back to that place of wholehearted commitment to the Lord. He says, you that are spiritual, restore that one in a spirit of gentleness, taking watch over yourself, lest you be tempted. All of that says we need one another. Because sin thrives when we isolate ourselves. Husbands, can I just say a word to you? You need that kind of relationship with your wife that's open and honest intimate and loving to be a wall of protection around you parents you need to provide that for your teenage children they're going into a world that throws things at them you and I never faced. we just need to understand people cannot make it in isolation David sends his army off he stays in Jerusalem And problems come. The second thing that David would tell us that we need to know about temptation is that if you flirt with temptation, you'll fall into sin. Look what it says in verse 2. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch that he was walking on the roof of the king's house and he saw from the roof A woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. Now, red lights should have gone off in David's heart. I mean, David was the man who told us, the Lord's our shepherd. I shall not want. He's going to supply everything I need. David is the one that says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my lips. It's David who tells us that the Word of God is more precious than gold, much fine gold, and sweeter to the taste than the honeycomb. It is David who who had known God with that intimacy, that in one moment a forgetfulness of everything that he had found in his delight and joy in the Lord, he looks and he begins to lust. And he sends the word. Who is she? And I said, she's Bathsheba, Uriah's husband. Now, Uriah is one of the, Officers in David's army, he's all fighting the battle. I mean, David's forgetting everything. I want you to know, sin will make you do dumb things. And then he sends for her and she comes. Has an illicit fare. She ends up pregnant. Can I just tell you, sin is a slippery slope. And if you walk on the edge of temptation, you're going to slip. And no one's immune from that. I mean, David was a man after God's own heart. It's foolish to think nothing like that will ever happen to me and be reckless and careless. If it could happen to David, it could happen to anyone. That's why the Bible gives us some very practical advice. It tells us that uh, we are not to pander to the flesh, that uh, we're not to to expose the flesh to temptation, that are strong and can drag us down. Romans 13 4 says, Make no provision for the flesh. There are just some places that I don't need to go. Wisest words of advice that I ever heard in seminary came from Ray Allison. He said, Never be alone. With another woman except your wife. And so over the years, if a lady calls for counseling, I ask her to bring her husband in, or to come by our house and be where my wife is. Or come to the church, but keep the doors wide open. It's just common sense things. Because if you expect the flesh. Though the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Make no provisions for the flesh. The second thing the scripture tells us is that we need to flee and not flirt with temptation. In 2 Timothy 2:22, Paul's writing to this young man who's his son in the ministry, and he says to him. Flee youthful passions. Run from them. If uh, I were standing here today, and uh, you're all looking up this way, and I walked over here, and I saw a timber rattler crawling down the aisle. What, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to say now, beloved, Stay calm and quiet. There's a reptile loose in the worship center. And if you're still, he might not bite you. No, you will watch you when we say Snake. <laughs> and we're all going out that door. There's just some things that are dangerous. And so you don't flirt with it. You flee. Flee youthful passions. But you pursue your hunt down righteousness, faith, love, peace, with all of those who call on Jesus from a pure heart. David would tell us, be careful. If you flirt with sin, you'll fall into sin. The third thing that David would tell us is that the price of sin is higher than you want to pay. I mean, as it unfolded in David's life, the three things that happened that happened in all of our lives, he forfeited fellowship with God. Here's David the man after God's own heart, the man who walked intimately with the Lord, the man who was strong in faith and his commitment and his empowerment with the Lord, he's going to live a year out of fellowship. Still go through the motions, still act like everything's all right, but empty on the inside. Not only was there the forfeit of of fellowship with God that that comes into his life, but but David suffers from the stress of uh, of spiritual and physical stress of of sin. If you look at, at Psalm 38, one of David's, Prayers of confession. He just gives a a description of, of, of what it's like. He talks about the Lord rebuking him in his wrath, and your errors have sunk into me. And then he talks about the physical stress of guilt. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sins and then he talks about the spiritual burden he he, he talks about uh, in, in, in in verse 4 for my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden they are too heavy for me verse 8 I am feeble and crushed I groan because of the turmoil of my heart he says listen Sin brings guilt. Guilt brings real stress that will affect you in your body and in your soul. Third, there is the high cost of covering up your sin at the expense of others. David, when she becomes aware that, that Bathsheba is pregnant, is afraid he's going to be found out. And so he sends to the front line for Uriah to come back to Jerusalem. And Uriah comes back, and David says, "Go down to your house." And he says, "You know, if he goes out of his house with his wife, then he, she'll he'll think that the baby's his." But Uriah's a loyal soldier, and he wouldn't go down to his house while all of the uh, all of his compatriots are on the field, and so he sleeps at the door of the king. And David panics. And the man after God's own heart complicates his sin by sending word to Joab and saying, put Uzziah out in the front of the army so he'll be killed. I found over the years that when people become overwhelmed by grace, but by guilt, they become hyper-critical of others, tearing others down just to make themselves look better. And the last cost that David paid was the destruction of his family. It's the most heartbreaking story. Right, right after you, you, you get through with with David's sin and what we look at in just a moment in in his uh, in in God uh, coming after him in chapter 13, you have the horrendous story of Amnon, one of the sons of David, who fell in love now he fell in lust with his niece Tamar, the daughter of his brother Absalom, half brother. Instead of seeking godly counsel, he talks to wicked men who encourage him in sin, and so he ends up raping his own niece. Absalom ends up killing his brother Amnon. Don't you know David's heart's breaking for the example that he set? then Absalom rebels against David. His father wants to take his throne. And Absalom ends up with his head, uh, his long hair, tangled up in the branches and killed in battle. And you have David's lament. Absalom, Absalom, would to God that I died instead of you. And, And David lost his family. I want you to know you cannot say, well, whatever I do is just, me and somebody else I want you your sin affects a lot of people it has concentric circles the fourth thing that David would tell us about temptation when we fall and fail and succumb He would tell us that God pursues His children in conviction and correction. You go to uh, 1 Samuel 12, and the first verse is, And the Lord sent Nathan to David. Now, David's lived a year covering up acting like everything's going all right he's worried he's fretful physically he's dry and cold spiritually but he's fooling all other people but the Lord sends Nathan and Nathan comes to him and tells him this story here's two men uh, here's a rich man who has a lot of flocks. I mean, he just, he, he's rich with sheep. And here's another man, and he just has one sheep, and they've raised it like a member of the family. They fed it milk from a bottle when it was a baby, and it sleeps in the bed with them, and they love the sheep. And this rich man has a man come to him visiting, and instead of taking a sheep from his many flocks, he takes this man's beloved sheep kills him and feeds him to his guest. And David gets angry. He says, man, anybody would do that. Bring him to me and he'll die. Nathan said, you are the man. You can hide sin from a lot of people. But you can never hide your sin from the lord and when nathan comes just like when the holy spirit comes into our lives to bring conviction to us he convicts us over the seriousness of sin i i, I want you to see some things that that nathan says to david that he's guilty of listen to what he says verse uh, verse 9, the Lord says to him, you have despised the word of the Lord. Here's David, who is an inspired writer of Scripture. But God says, in your action, you have despised, you've hated my word. Go down and, and look at verse 10. and says, you have despised Despised me. You've said taking your needs is more important than your commitment to me as Lord, and you have despised me as Lord. And then it gets stronger when you come to verse 14. When uh, the Lord says to David, You have utterly scorned the Lord. He hasn't said a thing about me. Bathsheba. Hadn't said a thing about Uzziah. He said, you belong to me. You're mine. Did I not give you Judah, make you king and bless you? And would I not have given you much, much more? took off the yoke of my word and you moved your heart away from love and delight in me and you dishonored me. Isn't that what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6 toward the end of the chapter when he said that You and I are not to be involved in immorality. And he says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You don't do anything outside the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, who lives in you. He said, you're not your own. You don't belong. You do whatever you want to do. You've been bought with a price by the blood of Jesus. You belong to him. Therefore, glorify God in your body. David forgot all about that. He forgot the seriousness of sin. Now, listen to me. If you can sin and there's never conviction that comes into your life is a sure sign that you're not a child of God. Hebrews 12 says that every child he chastised, that we might be partakers of holiness. The fifth thing that David would tell us, that not only does God pursue us, he would tell us that there's nothing sweeter than God's purifying grace. I want you to take your Bible, turn to Psalm 51. There are two Psalms that are the confession of David before the Lord because of his sin. Psalm 38 and Psalm 51. And in Psalm 51, David isn't just asking for forgiveness, he's asking that God would purify his life. Listen to what he says in the first seven verses. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgression. Take it out of existence. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sins. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your word and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth, in the inward being, and you Teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Now, in asking for that kind of purity, David asked for four things. In verse 10, he prays for a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart. O God, and renew a right spirit within me. In uh, verse 11, he prays for the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me, Lord. I can't do anything apart from you. And then, in verse 12, he prays for restored joy. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Lord, let me rejoice in you again. Then in verse 13, he said, Give me renewed witness. Then will I teach transgressors your way and sinners will be turned to you. Lord, I don't want to be forgiven. I want to be transformed. I want you to clean me up on the inside. How does that happen? How does that come into our lives when we've blown it? Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. What do you do in times of temptation? It could be in the moral area. I also know it can be in the mind. It can be in the tongue that speaks harsh and hurtful words. It can be in the feet that become swift in iniquity. Isolation. Sin thrives in isolation. You need other believers deeply involved in your life if you flirt with sin you'll fall into sin flee flee temptation pursue righteousness your sin will cost you and it'll cost you a whole lot more than you want to pay beware God pursues his children with conviction and correction if God's been working in your heart right now about some area don't put it off do something now be broken repent say God Restore to me the joy of my salvation and the power of your spirit. And use me to help other people come to know you.